We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven, and I am the host as usual. Joining me tonight is my guy, Tyler. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you doing tonight? I'm doing very, very well. Happy to talk about the uh, Senior Bowl and some cut candidates, all that good stuff. How are you? I'm doing great. It's been a fun week leading up to the Super Bowl. Excited to see how that one pans out, obviously. Um, Yeah, like Tyler mentioned, we're going to have a great conversation today. Talking about the Senior Bowl, we're going to have a special guest here, so I'm going to bring him in on in a second. But uh, talking about the Senior Bowl and the standouts that he got to witness in person down in Mobile, Alabama. Um, and then we are also going to uh, analyze the Chargers cut candidates. Obviously, those are making the rounds. You know, Daniel Popper wrote his article, and then everybody, like four days later, was uh, screenshotting, you know, Keenan Allen's a cut candidate, Gerald Everett's a cut candidate, all that good stuff. So national media, it took a few days to catch on, but... Uh, you know, excited to get in into that conversation. As always, if you are watching this live or on repeat, repeat, please make sure and uh, like and subscribe the to the channel. We always appreciate all of that. It really does help us continue to grow the show. And same with all of you who are listening to this uh, in terms of the ratings and reviews. We've got some funny reviews recently, so appreciate you guys. And uh, yeah, always uh, appreciate all of that. So that being said, we are going to bring on Mr. Alex Katzen from Chargers Wire. He's going to be joining us throughout the rest of the draft process, helping us uh, cover uh, this April's draft, doing some draft profiles on our YouTube channel. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Alex, what's up? How are you doing tonight? Good, man. Uh, 
I was telling you guys before the show started, my back still hurts from all the plane rides and stuff, but uh, I'm feeling <laughs> good. Uh, we'll we'll get past it and uh, get better. And uh, yeah, excited to talk uh, today and also uh, throughout the draft process for you guys. Uh, super stoked to uh, be a part of this. YouTube is very new to me, so we're going to see how it goes. Only fitting that you join a Chargers podcast and you'd already be on the injury report. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're, you're right where you should be. <laughs> So uh, for those of you who do not follow Alex on Twitter, I definitely recommend you uh, change that. He's done some great work covering the Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl over the last couple of weeks. Uh, also covers the University of Washington football team uh, throughout the season. So uh, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, wherever you are uh, around the country, make sure and follow Alex and uh, Chargers Wire. They do great work. Gavino from Chargers Wire is also going to uh be joining us throughout the draft season doing film breakdowns and he's in the chat as well so big shout out to Gavino uh you know he's been a huge help to us over the last few years being able to uh continue to cover the draft and and uh you know he does great work in terms of film breakdowns I believe he's dropping a Will McDonald from Iowa State film breakdown for us uh soon here um if it's not done already so uh we're looking forward to watching that film breakdown with him as well all right, so uh, the the uh, Senior Bowl is going to take over the the bulk of our conversation here with Alex, but uh, I feel like it's pretty rare that there's a potential first rounder at the Shrine Bowl. Um, obviously, Alex got to break news that that particular potential first rounder uh, is on the Chargers' radar. That's obviously Boston College receiver Zay Flowers. So we're going to start our conversation around Zay and then work our way back down to uh, Mobile. So, Alex, how did you... Uh, what was your impression of watching Zay Flowers up close and personal over those couple of days that you were in Las Vegas? Yeah, so Zay Zay had an interesting week in Vegas because he showed up uh, on Friday and told all of the media that he was going to practice and that he was going to show he was going to be there all week. He was going to practice. All the DBs were excited to go up against him. Obviously, like he was the high uh, most touted receiver. Uh, coming into the week and so all the dbs were super excited and then we get to saturday morning and zay's not on the field and then he comes out like 20 minutes late and he's just in street clothes and then we have media availability later in the day and everyone is like zay what happened and there's a whole bunch of different stories there's he, i guess he told a couple media members that like one of his teammates didn't get their pads on time so he lent them his pads and so he couldn't practice and then like there was there were a couple other stories going around, uh, none of which I was able to confirm or anything. Um, and then on Sunday, he came out and he practiced and uh, dominated everyone because he's he was the best receiver there. Um, and then shut it down for the week and said, yeah, that was good. Um, you, don't, you know, you only need the hour and a half session for me. Everything else, like, we're squared away. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk to him one-on-one uh, -on -one specifically, but I know a couple people that did, and everyone raved about his football IQ, the type of guy he is. Um, he had he he was one of the guys that really stood out a ton in interviews from uh, people that I talked to while I was in Vegas, and uh, and yeah, and then I uh, found out that the Chargers have met with him a few times, um, met with him a few times in Vegas. Um, obviously, at all-star events and stuff, uh, every team is meeting with every player. Pretty much, that's pretty much what they're for. Um, but it was interesting that the Chargers met with him multiple times, um, especially because given the timing between Shrine and Senior Bowl, a lot of scouting staffs left on Monday uh, or mm. Sunday even to go to Mobile. And there were about half the league stayed through Tuesday 
uh, in Vegas to continue interviewing players and uh, specifically to interview Zay, a lot of them, and the Chargers were one of those teams. And so uh, it's it's interesting because um, he's fast, and <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> about as uh, about as much as you have to say for uh, a receiver that the Chargers are targeting these days. Is he six uh, two though and really slow? No, so that that gives me some pause. And Telesco is still the GM. <laughs> yeah, were, it might be tough to remember because it's it's one player, and I know you weren't just watching one player. But it was Zay Flowers. How was he beating those DBs? If you recall, like was it a lot of short game. Was it just because of speed and you know a great corner route or something? Like what was kind of his bread and butter? What was he showing at the Shrine Bowl? Because sometimes um, even a player I interviewed last year, like they went to the Shrine Bowl specifically to show that they could win deep and like that was something that they could do. That maybe they didn't show on film. So what was Zay Flowers showing that really stood out to you in particular? Yeah. So I think. The the number one thing that sticks out about the the one day that Zay practiced is that like there are some guys where you you get on the field and you watch them and like you can tell that they're just a different caliber of athlete from everyone else that's there. And that's Zay. Um so a lot of the ways that he was winning, like in one-on-ones and stuff, it's just like quick release off the line. Um they didn't really do a ton of deep work the day that he practiced. They were mostly doing it the day after. Um, so he didn't really get a chance to do that as much. Um, but it was a lot of red zone work, a lot of like quick slant type stuff where he's just using release packages to get open. Um, but he's super, super, super advanced at that. Um, and obviously, if you go back and you watch his film from Boston College, like he's shown the ability to win deep and stuff, too. Um, one of the things that I did think was interesting is that when he was practicing, he got a lot of work in as a punt returner. Um, he was working with the Patriots team and the Patriots mm. dedicated like half of their hour and a half practice to special teams because it's Bill Belichick. um so there was a lot of punt team work um and zay was doing a lot of work as a punt returner um that's an area where like he didn't really produce a ton at boston college i think he only had like 43 punt return yards like all season this year um but the way that he moves in open space that's a really good usage for him at the next level i feel like and so it was interesting to see him do that a little bit too um and kind of like show off some of that short area quickness again um to kind of complement the the way that he was winning in like one-on-one drills in practice as well. Yeah, he's definitely got the body type and the athleticism to to develop into that kind of punt returner. Obviously, we'll be very curious what like Ryan Ficken would think of that and, and his role in that regard. So um, I have not personally watched Zay Flowers yet. I know Tyler does, uh, has, excuse me, um, and apparently passes the vibe check for, for what uh, we're looking for for a wide receiver, but uh, you know, going to be very interesting to see how the Chargers do feel about the lack of height, the lack of arm length. And obviously, you know, if you're drafting him, you're probably drafting him as a slot receiver. It's kind of what Keenan Allen does. It's kind of what Josh Palmer does. So very interesting prospect in terms of fitting with the Chargers. Yeah. And the I will say real quick, uh, he it. did tell the media that he's going to run four threes at the combine. So speed. Speed Me is too. good. Speed is good. All right, we'll uh, shift the conversation again, like I said, down towards Mobile, towards the Senior Bowl. Um, you know, I want to start with the group that I think uh, the Chargers really were keying in on, uh, according to a couple of people that I talked to, uh, and that's the edge rusher group. Was there a, a pass rusher that you kind of focus in on that you think would be a good fit? Like, I know I, I know, Gavino's going to do his film breakdown on Will McDonald. Uh, from a pass rusher standpoint, who stood out down at the Senior Bowl to you, Alex? Uh, one of the guys that I really liked was Keon White. Um, he's 
kind of an edge rusher and kind of an interior player. Um, kind of fits that like four eye role that Morgan Fox played this year. Um, he's just huge, man. And um, he's a guy that was on the on the Feldman's Freaks list this summer um, as like one of the most athletic players in college football. Um, he came in at six, just over six, four and a half, 280. Um, he's got a super, super nice power profile. Um, and, but also would like showed way more pass rush tools, like, uh, move packages and stuff like that. Um, then he showed on tape at Georgia tech, which I thought was really interesting. Um, he had a little bit of a quiet end to the week, which I think had more to do with just like offensive linemen adjusting a lot of times with those more powerful players that kind of stand out earlier in the week. And then as offensive linemen or whoever adjust, um, it kind of like tapers off a little bit. Um, another guy I liked was Derek Hall, kind of the same thing. Um, super powerful guy. Um, but he's only like 250, so he's going to play more on the edge, like as a traditional edge rusher. But mm -hmm. super powerful, um, held held up really well in run defense, which is a big emphasis for the Chargers, um, especially with, I mean, we saw the way that the the run defense performed when uh, Joey Bosa was injured. Um, so having kind of that third guy that can actually defend the run, um, but also has a little bit of juice to get to the passer. I think uh, Derek Hall is another really good one. Um, trying to look down my list here um Adebo Ware from northwestern was really good too i don't know how to say his first name so i'm not going to try um, <laughs> he's he's, he's another name. guy who who uh kind of has that like outside inside uh versatility he came in at like 284 um he's a little bit shorter uh than keon white is he came in under 62 so he's probably going to be on the inside at the next level but again someone to keep an eye on is kind of like a, a three tech or like a morgan fox four eye type deal um he was just beating the crap out of everyone all week. It was it was really fun watching him too. How do you evaluate? Because I've never been there myself. We just get the the film and we watch it from the comfort of our homes. But like when you're down there, or even when you're reviewing the film, like how do you evaluate some of these one on ones, or do you put any real stock in them? Do you look more at like the team periods or the game itself? Because I mean, it seemed like even this year in particular, there's a lot of debate about what was a win, what wasn't, you know, if mm. the quarterback was there, if he was not mm. there, you know, this guy's getting thrown to the ground, but that would have been a holding call, you know, like, how are you evaluating in particular with, you know, with pass rushes or, or I guess offensive linemen as well, how much stock are you putting into those one-on-ones? Like what kind of curve are you setting for some of these guys? Because it's not a, you know, a real setting, if you will. Yeah, I think there's always a grain of salt to be taken with one-on-ones, especially because there's so much happening at like every area of the field where like you can sit down and you can say like, I'm going to watch the O-line D-line one-on-ones today. But then like, there's a whole crowd of people that are there, especially at the senior bowl where like it's a huge event and practices are open to the public and stuff too. And so like something happens on the other side of the field and like, you know, there's a great wide receiver DB rep or like you catch out of the corner of your eye that like a guy that you like is about uh, about to go up and you kind of get distracted and you, you know, your attention kind of shifts back and forth. And so it, it can be tough. Um, I think the main thing with offensive defensive line to keep in mind is that like with one-on-ones, more powerful guys are always going to play better in those situations because there's always going to be those highlight real clips of like them driving an offensive lineman like back to the goalpost because they're backed up in the end zone like that. And like those clips are always going to make the rounds and like they're, they're wins and they're good clips, but like some of those more like finesse rushers um, that have kind of the ability to chain moves together and stuff, like it's harder to get a handle on like, exactly how those guys win in one-on-one -on -one situations because so often like 
you have one move and you got to go. And if that first move doesn't work, then the offensive lineman locks you up and then the rep is over. Like you don't have a chance to counter. Um, and so in that sense, like team period is a little bit better, but also like because there's still not really like a ton of like live game action type deal in team period, it's still a little bit hard to tell. Um, team period, I mostly focus on like run defense and stuff because that's a lot easier to tell because um, it's a lot of run shells and it's a lot easier to kind of see like, oh, this guy, you know, nice backside pursuit this guy has beaten a tackle off the line you know this sort of thing um and then the game obviously like is the game and it's your kind of your one chance to get like live uh footage of them i guess for lack of a better word um but the thing with the senior bowl game and especially this year is that a lot of guys sit out of the actual game um you know they go through practice and then either like they pick up like a minor 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 injury and their agent tells them hey just like don't bother or you know they feel like they've done enough throughout the week where they don't need to play and so like the the one team uh i can't remember if it was the american or national team but they only had seven offensive linemen left by the time the game started because of injuries and guys deciding they were going to sit out and just like back and forth and so you have a lot of guys that are playing out of position and so it's kind of like important to keep that context in mind when you go back and you watch the film where you're like uh cody mock for example played tackle in the game and didn't play tackle all week in practice um and so like obviously he played tackle at north dakota state but you go back and you kind of look at the game film and you're like, okay, this is a guy that didn't play tackle all week. Maybe he's getting beat by this, 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 because mm. he's readjusting back to playing on the outside. Yeah. Mock in particular, I think he played right tackle left guard and center in that game. If I'm not mistaken, uh, yep. somebody that I would be very interested in the chargers drafting. And, you know, if they were, you know, couldn't have the luxury of taking a, a swing into your offensive lineman early in the draft, but, um, Thomas Martinez uh, says that the Northwestern, I forget his last name already, but first name of the North, Northwestern defensive lineman is Adi Tamiwa. So, yeah, Adi Tamiwa Adebaware. Um Going to have to practice that one. Uh, yeah, that's, that's one to practice <laughs> for sure. Um, shout out my guy, JP Acosta, who went to Northwestern and had that one on lock the whole week so that I never had to say it. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, so I'm curious here. It, it sounds like a lot of the, the strength of the uh, trench units down in Mobile were those kind of hybrid edge interior pass rushers and also kind of the interior offensive linemen uh, also had some really good weeks and or good week of practice. And then obviously at the game is there is that feel like the proper assessment to you that the in terms of the trenches that there's not really like a true standout offensive tackle or like a true standout edge rusher? Yeah, I would say so. I think the closest thing to like a standout, like pure edge rusher um, this week was probably Will McDonald. Um, and even he like, and kind of on the flip side of that, uh, the one guy that I would say was probably like the standout offensive tackle is Darnell Wright from Tennessee. But that comes with the caveat of Wright and McDonald were just beating up on one another the whole week. And it was kind of going back and mm. forth and neither one of them like definitively won that kind of three days of practice and so it's kind of hard to get a gotcha. read on because it's kind of best against best the whole time but yeah a lot of these more traditional edge rushers i thought did struggle a little bit like guys like guys that i was excited about like nick hampton who came in at like 236 and is like a pure like stand-up edge rusher kind of was quiet the whole week um a lot of the tackles um were pretty quiet um a lot of the tackles that came in as tackles played a lot of guard and then they looked better at guard 
Um, you had guys like Jalen Duncan, who's only ever played left tackle playing right tackle and looking super uncomfortable playing right tackle. Um, and so it was interesting. I would say, <laughs> honestly, the the most like standout offensive tackle is Dewan Jones from Ohio State, who only practiced on the first day and then disappeared for the second day. <laughs> and nobody knew where he went. And like no yeah. showed media day, like no one could find him. And then eventually, like it gets reported that like they're afraid that he has a concussion. He showed up to the third day of practice and he's in shades while it's like raining outside. And so it was <laughs> it was a very interesting week for him. But he had a great first day of practice. He looks like an absolute monster. Um, someone who I think might be worth keeping an eye on uh, towards the end of the first round. I mean, I don't necessarily think he's a first round player, but he's 6'8", 375. He's definitely got first round size and he's a pure right tackle. And so if the Chargers mm. don't bring back Trey Pipkins, I feel like that's someone that like is worth keeping an eye on um, around that 21 range, maybe uh, in the second round if uh, the combine doesn't go his way. But that's really the only guy that I can think of. Uh, most of the tackles struggled a little bit, had had kind of their ups and downs. Is there anybody in particular? So you talk about the tackles that might have struggled. And that was kind of what happened last year was the big, you know, the, the not the big three, the three after the big three, you know, the guys that you want to see, whether it's Penning or Falele or Ryman, like those are the guys that were, I mean, even at one point, all three of them were jockeying for like first round status. And you go to the senior bowl and you're hoping to see them handle some of these guys. And each one of them just individually struggled, had poor performances. Again, not always completely fair, looking at one-on-ones and things like that. But their their stock all kind of seemed to sink a little bit, although Penning still went in the first round. So was there anybody in particular like you really wanted to see to kind of maybe not move up your grade to the first round or anything, but like you were hoping to see a bit more from them and you really just didn't? Like, I don't want to call anybody out, but who are maybe some of the disappointments sure. from the from the weekend? Yeah, I would say the the one that sticks out right away is uh, Ryan Hayes, the Michigan offensive tackle. Hmm. Um, you know, coming from a, a unit that won the Joe Moore Award as like the best offensive line in college football, um, I was expecting kind of a lot. I watch a lot of Michigan games because both my parents went there, so like I'm a Michigan guy. Um, wow, we got we got two Michigan guys on <laughs> two Michigan guys on the podcast now. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. So, you know, I was, I was hoping to see a little bit more from him. Um, he just really, really struggled to set an anchor like all week. And against some of these more powerful, like hybrid rusher guys, he was just, he was having a, a rough time all week. Um, he's someone that like, like you said, I wasn't necessarily like going into it being like, oh yeah, I'm going to cement a first round grade on this guy. But it was someone that I had seen talked about um, kind of in some draft Twitter circles and was kind of interested in seeing, cause I hadn't gotten like, eyes on him film wise. Um, I'd watched him like in live games and stuff. Um, and then obviously coming from uh, an offensive line with that high of a pedigree, um, you know, I'm always a little bit more interested in those sorts of guys. Um, thought he really struggled. Um, Nick Saldaveri from Old Dominion is another one, but I will say that that comes with the caveat that he was playing all over the line all week. And so there was a lot of adjustment that he had to do. Um, he played tackle at Old Dominion, um, but mostly played center at the Senior Bowl. Um, Jim, I think Jim Nagy put out a tweet that he thinks like he's a future starter at center, um, which I could see because uh, he's a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter, like 311. Um, but he kind of the same thing, just kind of struggled with power, had kind of like a, an anonymous week, was kind of hoping for him to, you know, like anytime that one of these like smaller school guys gets invited to the senior bowl pretty early like that and gets hyped up a little bit. Like you kind of expect them to come in and kind of have like a, um, 
Quinn Miners type week or like a Ben Barch type week where like yeah. they're coming out of nowhere and they're like just like kicking everyone out the club. And that didn't really happen. And so I was a little bit disappointed in that. Um, again, not someone that I was necessarily like, oh, yeah, he's going to be a first rounder. He's probably more of a day three guy, but someone that I was excited to see where I kind of came away from the week just being like, eh. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, really quickly, I guess Arjun's in a hurry. He wants to know if you saw Zach Hiller at the Shrine Bowl. <laughs> I don't know who that's that Zay, is. That's Zay Flowers' uh, agent. Arjun and the agent have oh. a bit of a back. Oh. <laughs> yes. He said that Dalvin okay. Cook's more valuable than Justin Jefferson. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that one. Okay. If it's Zay Flowers' yeah. agent, then yes, I did see him because Zay Flowers' entire agency was at the Shrine Bowl all week. Wow. Um, <laughs> just kind of following him around. I think they were filming like a, a documentary type thing. Um, but oh, they had like five or six guys there. So I probably did see him. I did not talk to him though. There you go. There you go, Arjun. Um, all right. I want to shift gears here a little bit and talk about the, uh, skill positions. Obviously everybody and their dog wants the charters to, uh, address the wide receiver position. Um, seems like pretty consensus that Jaden Reed was kind of the big, uh, winner in terms of the receivers, Michigan state wide receiver. Anybody else in terms of the wide receivers stand out for you uh, th- that week in uh, Mobile? Yeah, um, the the name that comes to mind immediately is Michael Wilson from Stanford. Um, mm-hmm. He's a little bit more of a prototypical Chargers receiver, by which I mean he's <laughs> big and slow. <laughs> um, Great, he'll fill right in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's six one and a half, two sixteen. He's probably going to run like four five, four six, um, but he just knows how to get open. Um, he and you know, reminds me a little bit of Josh Palmer, um, not like an official player comp, but, you know, it's it's kind of similar, kind of the way that they win. Um, did a lot of work in the intermediate areas of the field. Um, injuries are going to be the big thing with him. He's only played like 14 games over the last three seasons. Um, we talked to a few people while we were in Mobile um, that said that uh, it was like a collarbone issue, like a recurring collarbone issue that he's had for the last couple of years that's kept him out. Um, so again, perfect chargers fit, um, big, slow injury prone receiver, (laughs) um, pencil him in day two, day three. Um, but he had a, he had a really good week of practice. He had a great game. Um, I think he, he led the game in receiving yards. He had a touchdown that, um, was a a nice play by him. Uh, it was a a little bit of an underthrown ball from, uh, I think it was Jake Hayner. Slightly. He kind of (laughs) came back and got, so, uh, you know, he, he had a really nice week, um, kind of um to get out ahead of uh asking about kind of guys that were a little bit disappointing maybe i thought rasheed rice could have had a better week um he was a guy that i kind of came into the week being like i'm ready to cement a first round grade on him Mm -hmm. and then i like didn't even notice that he was there a lot of the time like he not not to say that like he was losing a lot of reps but it was like anytime that you have a guy like that, that has first round buzz, that's at one of these all-star events, like you expect him to kind of stand head and shoulders yeah. above the rest of the group, kind of like Zay did at Shrine. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't really see that from Rice. Um, so it was a little disappointing, um, but one-on-ones are not really his best format to showcase like the way that he wins uh, on the football field, I think. So comes with a little bit of caveat there. Um, let's see who else. Um, I thought Dontavion Wicks had a really nice week. Um, he's got some drop issues. Um, I think his drop rate was like almost 10% this season at Virginia. So some drop issues might be understating it a little bit. Um, <laughs> but 
he put together a really nice week of practice. He's just such a refined route runner. Just another one of those guys that just knows how to get open. Not going to be like the fastest guy, not going to run like four, three or anything, um, but just knows how to get open. The thing for him is just going to be catching the ball. <laughs> just got to catch the ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just got to catch the ball. Man. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, Quentin Johnson also has a high drop rate too. So, you know, this is true. There we go. Um, it was it was a big week for corners, it sounded like, as well. Do you think that kind of maybe played into why there weren't more standout wide receivers this week? Yeah, definitely. Um, this corner class is awesome. <laughs> I There's love, so many guys, man. I love so this many. corner class so much. Like, even outside of the Senior Bowl, just, like, in general in the draft, this corner class is nuts. I love it. Um, I also think that part of, the, part of the reason that some of the wide receivers didn't stand out as much is that uh, the quarterbacks were bad. All of the quarterbacks were bad. <laughs> um, so that makes it tough for the wide receivers because like you can get open all you want, but if the ball isn't getting delivered, then it's not going to be a highlight rep. And then like, you're not getting the exposure of like, oh, wow, this guy had a great week. Um, Jaden Reed had some of that too, where like you go back and you watch some of the practice film and they're throwing it to him. Like he's a six, six tight end and he's five ten, <laughs> Um, and it's just like, man, come on, like throw the ball to the guy. Um, but yeah, some of like, all the corners had an awesome week. I thought like Darius Rush was the best corner there. Um, super physical, like press guy. Um, not necessarily. Kansas State be... one? Sorry. Sorry. Kansas State, right? Uh, Rush is South Carolina, but Julius oh, Brent's the Kansas State corner. He was he was also really nice. He got dinged up a little bit uh, towards the end of the week, so he didn't uh, practice the last day or play in the game. Um, but I thought he was really nice too. Both those guys just super physical, like press man type corners. Not necessarily going to be the best Chargers fits just because, like, you already have those guys on the roster with Michael Davis and hopefully with JC coming back. Um, we'll see what JC Jackson looks like, obviously. Right. Um, but guys that kind of fit that same sort of mold is just like a guy that's going to get up in your grill on the line of scrimmage and just uh, press the hell out of you. Um, Kelly from Stanford had a really nice week, too, um, especially uh, the one day of practice they were running mostly like cover two shell um where he was playing mostly like underneath zone coverage and he really excelled at that that was the day where he had like three interceptions in one practice mm. um kind of quiet other than that so i think that um everyone has kind of cracked the code on what his scheme fit is going to be in the nfl it's going to be cover two zone um and so um someone to keep an eye on um again maybe not necessarily the best chargers fit but uh a, a name to know um and then let's see who else um yeah that that was pretty much it for the corners the the guys that really stood out to me as guys that i really liked but the whole corner class is awesome i i love all of them nice a slot corner in particular on that group by chance because obviously outside corner seems to be solved but any yeah. slot projection guys slot guys it's tough because like i i would say that the one guy that projects really favorably to the slot that was at the senior bowl would be jartavius martin from illinois and I only caught one day of practice from him mm. because um, because I did Shrine and Senior this year. Um, I missed the first day of Senior Bowl practices because I was traveling. Um, and then he practiced the second day that I was there, um, or the first day that I was there, rather, but the second practice, and then got injured in that practice and then didn't mm. practice the third day. Um, he's the guy that m makes the most sense to me as a slot, uh, a slot guy in the league. Um, but I don't have that much information to go on because um, I only saw him for, you know, maybe an hour. Um, but otherwise, like a lot of the guys that were in Mobile, I think are more 
outside guys. Um, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. uh, if you're looking for slot guys, you kind of have to go to the safety group, I think. Um, gotcha. Guys like Kedron Smith, who got called up late from the NFLPA Bowl, played a lot of slot. Um, someone like Daniel Scott can just like play all over the field, um, the Cal safety. Um, you can put him wherever and he'll do well. Um, but yeah, a lot of the corner group was mostly outside guys this week, I'd say. All right, there we go. So uh, if you're just joining us now, uh, this is Alex Katzen from uh, Charters Wire doing some great work with us uh, covering the draft this year. So Alex, really appreciate your time, man. Where can uh, everybody go find you and find your work uh, as we you know, really launch into draft season? Yeah, so um, you most of my stuff is on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Alex Katzen, spelled the same way as my name, K-A-T-S-O-N. Um, I do spreadsheets. I do Chargers Wire. I do draft stuff with uh, the the website that I run, which is called Neptune Scouting. You can find them on Twitter at Neptune Scouting. Um, we have a team of a bunch of guys that were in Mobile, um, like five, four or five of us that were in Mobile. So we're still uh, working through all of our Senior Bowl content. Um, Shrine Bowl stuff is going to be um, up on Chargers Wire soon. I got some interviews that I got to transcribe still that I'm really excited about getting out to everyone. Um, obviously, the Chargers stuff is always going to be on Chargers Wire. Um, I tweet about the Pac-12 um, spreadsheets, anything, um, anything that comes to mind. Really, I just kind of hang out. Um, it's a nice time. You should, you should come hang out. And uh, obviously, I'll, I'll be here all spring, uh, doing content for you guys. And I'm really stoked for that as well. Yeah, we've got a lot of fun stuff planned with Alex here, doing draft profiles, reacting to mock drafts, things like that. So, going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, Gavino Borquez as well on here. So. Uh, the guilty is charged. Chargers wire relationship is uh, going strong and we're uh, really excited to continue that. So Alex, appreciate your time. Everybody make sure and uh, go follow him. And uh, Alex, we'll talk to you soon. See you next time, guys. Have a good one. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. So the show is uh, not over. We're going to uh, continue to talk about uh, some things here, but... Tyler, anything uh, stand out about what uh, Alex was able to uh, share with us? 
I mean, everything. I want to go back and re-listen to all of this. And just looking over the Chargers' history, you know, nine of their 17 picks in the two years under Staley have been senior bowl guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I noted that Larry Roundtree had uh, four carries for seven yards in the senior bowl game. Oh, that dude, was... that's the most typical thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I was like, of course, that's exactly what he had in the senior bowl game. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, the senior bowl is, is very clearly throughout Telesco's history for sure, but you know, definitely yeah. the last two years, um, has been big for the chargers. So really, I mean, every name that he dropped is worth looking at. And I know that they'll be covering up Alex and Cavino and us, of course, you know, we'll do some work too. And we'll be covering some of these guys that really fit who the chargers would probably target. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're diving into draft stuff as well. I know, uh, you know, obviously we've been busy doing some other things. I'm, I'm thinking I'm at like 20 prospects graded right now. So, uh, you know, getting there, uh, slowly but surely. So we're going to have a lot of stuff. And then, you know, we always love to collaborate with other people and, you know, Alex does some great work and, you know, I wanted to take advantage of his insight and obviously, uh, had some great thoughts to, uh, provide tonight. So, um, all right, we're going to move on now and, uh, talk about some chargers cut candidates. So, uh, as always, we have a slideshow for everything. I did this one, so uh, hopefully it's uh, you know does the job here tonight. So um, these are seven players. This is purely money related. So there is a name on here that people might freak out about. We are not suggesting that the Chargers cut him. We're going to kind of analyze the where the money stands and maybe you know discuss what the Chargers can do in terms of freeing up some cap space with that player's particular contract. So. Um, we did talk about Keenan Allen as kind of a big separate topic. So that was on our last show. Uh, if you missed that, please go and check that out. There was a lot of uh, good conversation had in that one. Obviously, it's kind of the bigger question mark of the season. And, uh, you know, we'll dive into some other ones here and now. So after we do this, we'll, we're will we going to have a, a ranking like we did last time in terms of percentages, have verdicts and stuff like that. It's going to be a fun conversation for sure. Love it. Can't wait to have everyone agree with us. Let's do this. <laughs> and uh, this is based off of alphabetical order. This is how I order this. Uh, you know, working in education my whole life, that's kind of where my brain went to. So uh, first up on the list is Austin Eckler. Again, uh, not suggesting this, but the money does work out. We'll get to that in a second. Um, in terms of his statistics, obviously he had a fantastic season. Everybody knows the 20 total touchdowns, but 217 carries, 950 yards, uh, 4.4 yards per carry. 2.92 yards per contact after uh, per attempt, excuse me, which was 18th best in the league. 44 missed tackles, uh, forced missed tackles, excuse me, 15th best in the league. 23 runs of 10 plus yards, which was 15th in the league. Uh, and then as a receiver, really had, you know, the Chargers didn't have many other options throughout most of the season. So 126 targets for Austin Eckler was most in the league. So it was 109 receptions. Uh, 717 yards was second. Five touchdowns was third. 7.9 yards after the catch per reception was 10th. And then 1.55 yards per route run was fourth best in the league. So, um, Tyler, I guess kind of the question here before we get into the the specifics of the finances, where do you where do you see kind of the Chargers and Austin Eckler in terms of like how would they value him as he does start to, you know, hit that that age, uh, that dreaded age marker that we kind of see in terms of regression? It's interesting because they, I think we're starting to handle the situation correctly with last off season where they drafted Isaiah Spiller. You know, you see where Austin Eckler was going and that he was going to hit a certain number of, of carries. I don't think they expected 126 targets um, and all those receptions and whatnot, but 
you know, they were, he, they were approaching, not moving on from him, just, but just preparing to eventually have someone come in, in there and take more snaps. Um, so that was supposed to be Isaiah Spiller. I guess you could have argued maybe even Sony Michelle and heck even Larry Roundtree got a shot, but um, there was a point in the season early on where it really looked like there was a bit of a wall being hit, not terrible football, because um, the offense overall just wasn't really doing great things in the run game. and They were very hit, hit or miss all year. But it was like, okay, you have Spiller. He's not playing right now. But you could see a world where during the middle of the season, he's going to be worked in. And then you start preparing for life after Austin Eckler. Not even in 2023, but just you know, getting ready for that. I still think they're going to do that, obviously. Um, but Austin Eckler really in the second half of the season just turned back into vintage Austin Eckler. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, incredible plays. You know, the second to last game of the year, he's got a 70 plus yard touchdown where he's beating guys down the field. Um, you know, every touchdown, you know, three touchdowns a game, two touchdowns a game. And it was ridiculous at a certain point. Um, you know, left Bobby Wagner in the dust on one play yep. um, after a reception. Like he looked like vintage Austin Eckler. So I think that even surprised the Chargers, to be completely honest. So in terms of where they stand with him, I, I'm sure they would love to have a second true guy. Um, they've kind of said as much. They've tried to do as much. We've heard as much. I think that's going to be the guys they have on the roster currently. But as far as Austin Eckler goes, I think he's their RB1. I don't think they're drafting Bijan Robinson. I don't think they will be able to anyway. Um, yeah. I think I think they find a, a fourth you know, sort of running back at some point in the draft. But I think Austin Eckler is here to stay here on his contract. If they give him an extension, it wouldn't surprise me. But I just I kind of worry about you know extending this for for too long because he has accumulated quite a few touches. But you know he he closed out the season very very strong. I see no reason to worry about his future or his contract right now. Yeah, I think he's still a really high level running back. I think ideally you you do get that second guy in tow, and obviously you know we we would love to see Joshua Kelly be that guy or Isaiah Spiller or whoever, right? But um, none of them have really sees really truly sees the moment just yet. Obviously, Kelly did have a little bit of the the injury this year, so um, I, I don't really expect the Chargers to make any sweeping changes. Like I, I think Bijan Robinson, man, like he's an insane talent. And you know, I said a couple weeks ago the Chargers would not be drafting a running back if Bijan is there at twenty one and he's the best player available. Which frankly, he probably would be the best player available regardless of who's there at twenty one. Um, I I wouldn't be like shocked to see. The Chargers take Bijan Robinson, but at the same time, does he go earlier? Is there a legitimate edge there? You know that that kind of conversation we'll we'll cover later on. But um, Eckler, I still think it has some good football, and I think ideally you do kind of transition, start to transition him a little bit more into kind of a receiving option, prolong his career career a little bit that way. Um, but you know they they don't really have that guy right now, so it's going to be very interesting to see what they do in terms of the financial standpoint. Obviously, he signed a four year contract extension worth $24.5 million uh, bargain for the Chargers in that regard in 2020. He's going to have a cap hit of $7.75 million in 2023. Um, This is why he's on here. The Chargers could save $6.25 million by cutting Austin Eckler pre or or post June 1st if they really wanted to. If they were just, you know, if the decision is, you know, do we cut some of these other guys in order to keep Keenan Allen? Like, you know, I could see this being at least a conversation that the Chargers are having. Um, and then an extension could free up to $4.136 million in cap space, according to over the cap. So that's that's the one thing that, you know, you can't restructure uh, Austin Eckler because he is on the final year of his contract. 
theoretically you could extend him maybe do like a two-year extension push some money towards next year maybe have an out built in after the 2024 season but i i'm not quite sure what kind of contract uh transaction we we might have with austin eckler but uh he, he does kind of have some flexibility because he's on the last year of his deal yeah i would agree all right, we'll get to the next one here. Uh, Austin Johnson, I think this is would not be something I predict, but again, Chargers are are very tight on cast base, so it's worth mentioning. Um, his 52.4 run defense grade, I put it on there strictly to say that that is uh, a terrible grade for Austin Johnson. That should be much, much higher in my opinion. Um, 14 total run stops and 11.4 run stop percentage in seven games finished. At the time that he got injured, he was sixth and fifth in those regards in the whole league. He was playing at an outstanding level um, on pace for 34 total run stops, which would have been third most in the league. Um, obviously, not much of a pass rusher, only seven total pressures and one sack in those seven games. But um, as a pure run defensive lineman, Austin Johnson was fantastic. Just the, the injury, obviously, is kind of a big thing to see how he can bounce back mm -hmm. or not. Yeah, that's definitely the big one. I should have done more homework on that particular injury because I don't know what his timetable was going to be. Obviously, it was season and season ending, um, but I don't know what his you know off season outlook or preseason outlook is going to be. If they want to try to do, not that it's an exact swap because the Chargers would only save you know three point four ish million by cutting Austin Johnson, but if they want to try some sort of swap where they cut Austin Johnson to make an attempt bring back someone like Morgan Fox um, to kind of push that money that way instead. I could see that, but honestly, Austin Johnson, when he was on the field, when he was playing, I thought was their best defensive tackle um, of that group. Eventually that did become Morgan Fox because he was, a, he was a standout to close the year, but to start the year, that was really Austin Johnson. And what they were doing against the Chiefs in that week two game, a lot of it was because Austin Johnson was having a phenomenal game mm -hmm. um, against that interior. And that's a very, very good interior for the Chiefs. So I don't see them extending him by any means. Um, I think he just stays on his current deal. And frankly, I'm completely fine with that. As long as the injury is not something, you know, incredibly concerning that like a JC Jackson that would, you know, be super detrimental to his 2023 season. You know, I, I think he stays on his contract. Not a not a cut candidate to me, really. Yeah, I believe it was a dislocated kneecap, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if okay, so Alex Katzen's back in the chat. He says Johnson tore his MCL and fractured his kneecap. So, uh, yeah, painful, but obviously maybe potentially better than a torn patella or torn ACL. So, uh, something to monitor for sure. In terms of the finances, signed a two-year, fourteen million dollar contract with the Chargers last offseason. He will have a cap hit of nine point five million dollars in 2023. Uh, the Chargers would take on $6.125 million of a dead cap hit and save, like Tyler said, $3.375 million by cutting him. Um, if they feel good about the extent of the injury, if they feel like he's fully healthy and ready to rock, they could extend him, similar to Austin Eckler, free up $4.46 million. Uh, again, that could be maybe like another two-year extension. He's still pretty young, still has some good football ahead of him, mm -hmm. uh, as long as he's able to recover from that injury. Yeah, that's not a bad option. If the injury checks out okay, I wouldn't mind that at all. Yep. Although I believe they would extend Sebastian Joseph Day first. Is is, is Bash a three year deal? Yeah, Sebastian was a three year deal. Oh, so okay. they they could restructure Sebastian Joseph Day this year mm -hmm. and then extend him next year if they wanted to. Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but actually I'm gonna look at that right now. 
Yeah, I was I was going to say they should they would extend Bash over Johnson, but then of course it's a three year deal versus a two year deal, so ignore me. But also oh, I'll keep talking because you're looking things up. <laughs> so uh just vibing. Yeah, just vibing. So uh the, the Chargers restructuring Sebastian only frees up two point seven million dollars, but I mean any anything helps right now at this point for them. Right. And that's what I mean, that's what really what it is. We'll have another you know, player on here who's making barely anything this year, but you know, I think it saves the Chargers like a million and a half dollars. But you know, gotta look at everything. Yeah. yeah, so they could. He has a ten million dollar cap hit next year, so they could restructure him this year, pushes more money back to next year, and then after this upcoming season, they could extend him and just keep pushing that money back that way. But obviously, Sebastian has to continue to play well and and not show signs of slowing down and all that good stuff, but. Um, it's, it's an easy $2.7 million for me. I think you make that move hundred percent. All right. Next on the list, obviously Jared ever, this is one that I don't think really was brought up until Daniel Popper did in terms of his season, 89 targets, uh, ninth most in the league among tight ends, 64 receptions was 10th, 664 yards was ninth. Um, 10.4 yards per reception was 12th. Five touchdowns was eighth, uh, 6.5 yards after the catch per reception was where he shined for sure. That was third most in the league. Uh, and then 1.40 yards per route run was 11th. Uh, unfortunately, he did have a bit of a drop problem this year. That was something that we kind of talked about in the offseason. Maybe that, that came back, and unfortunately it did. Uh, 7.2 drop percentage was the fourth highest among tight ends with 20% targets. And then 18 force missed tackles. Again, that was kind of where he shined uh, second most in the league. Yeah, this one is interesting to me because if I'm now again, the contracts are very, very different and the savings is very, very different. But if I'm going into this draft, I'd rather try to find a way to replace some other guys and, and Gerald Everett than someone like Keenan Allen because you go into this class loving the tight end class and heck, it could be, you know, your Dalton Kincaid at 21. And I mean, if push comes to shove, I would rather, you know, find a tight end at a very good tight end class and find a receiver in a really poor wide receiver class. Not yeah. that they're bad overall, but you know, I'd rather, you know, go find a tight end. Again, there's there's several. You know, I think Daniel Jeremiah had what six in his top fifty. You know, I'd rather go something like that. So the savings isn't a whole lot. Um, this is a player that I guess everything really kind of balances out to saying an above average tight end. To me, I do feel like there were some self-inflicted injuries. We saw that it was you know, the first. You know, where were the deep shots? Well, they tried one against the Falcons and he dropped it, you know. Um, he have a seam ball or whatever he was running. Yeah. So some self-inflicted stuff. But I, re- I really do also feel like there was just some schematic issues as well. Um, just no intention to get him the ball. Some games, absolutely. Against the Jaguars, like that was, it was Gerald Everett's game. Like they were going to get him the football and clearly it paid off. There were several moments where Gerald Everett was carrying this team and others where it just felt like they just did not try to get him the football. Um, if they want to upgrade it as a, as a, at a you know position where they want a better blocker, maybe a better two-way player, I was kind of hoping to see more out of Gerald Everett in that regard. Um, I know Trey McKitty gets most of the flack for being a poor blocker, and he was, and kind of, quote-unquote, deserves it. But Gerald Everett wasn't a whole lot better. And if yeah. you want to go by Pro Football Focus's blocking grade, not that I would, but I believe he's two spots ahead of Trey McKitty out of like 150. <laughs> so um, I do feel like cool. there was more of a difference than that but you know from some perspective there so if they move on from him i would get it and they're in a good position to find a tight end at the same time donald parham is currently not back with the team although i do think he will be 
Trey McKitty has been, you know, a relative disappointment in his second season. And that's kind of all you got. So unless you're banking on Stone Smart, you know, you're really leaving yourself in a vulnerable spot, I would say, to force yourself to draft a tight end. Although, again, it's a good a good tight end class. Yeah, it is. I think it's all about weighing kind of how much do you really improve the tight end room by cutting him versus drafting and then drafting his replacement. Because what if that rookie struggles? Then you have, you know, a, a struggling rookie and Trey McKitty and, and Stone Smart as your tight ends or, you know, whatever else they do. Maybe you get like a, a cheap veteran in there or something. But, um, you know, it's it's a very interesting discussion here in terms of the finances. He signed a two year, $12.25 million contract with the chargers in 2022. Um, he would have an $8.25 million cap it if he is still on the roster this season. Um, in terms of cutting him, the chargers would take on four point million dollar or four point. Yeah. Take on four point million dollars of dead cap and then save 4.25. So it's not, it, it isn't like a super clean cut, but it does save you $4.25 million. Um, if they wanted to trade him, they could save $5.75 million. Uh, I don't really know what kind of market he would have. Um, but he's watching the Cowboys under Kellen Moore. He's not a super clean fit in terms of what Kellen Moore usually uses and prefers at the tight end position. I think he could make it work for his last year of his contract. Um, but, you know, Kellen Moore is is not gonna he's not gonna live with bad inline blocking tight ends if he if he gets the choice obviously so you know even Dalton Schultz was a really solid inline blocking tight end from what I saw um, watching the tape back this year so um, you know this this tight end room I think could look pretty different uh, you know come September first yeah that wouldn't surprise me at all all right next one here is Khalil Mack again this is this is more a money thing I, I we frankly quite shocked if they cut him um, in terms of his statistics, not necessarily uh, going to blow you out of the water or anything like that. 59 total pressures, which was 17th most in the league nine sacks, which was 23rd. Uh, his PRP rate was 47th at 7.0 14.5 win percentage was 50th, 13 run stops, 3.7 run stop percentage at 61.7 run defense grade. So I think Khalil Mack, played at a level that I expected him to. It's just that unfortunately Joey gets hurt and it really kind of takes his production down mm -hmm. a little bit. In my opinion, he goes from becoming the second edge rusher to being the first edge rusher gets all the attention. So I think Limack was solid. I don't, I think there was definitely a little bit of a lull there. Um, but you know, I, I think from a leadership standpoint, from like a Brandon Staley standpoint, I'd be pretty shocked if they, they did cut him. Yeah, I would be too. If the Chargers had decided to move on from Brandon Staley, I think this would have been like the first or at least number one priority sort of yeah. cut candidate. Not because he had a terrible season, but because it's no longer Brandon Staley's guy. It's probably a new GM as well, new regime. I didn't trade for you. You're not my guy. Again, it's Khalil Mack, so, you know, respect. But, you know, at that point, I think that would have been a, a cut candidate. Instead, you know, Brandon Staley is back. Tom Telesco is back. And I do think they want to make this work. The peak value, and, and this is kind of goes for Joey Bosa as well, the peak value for both players is when both players are together and when they are healthy. That's 100%. very obvious if you watch the first two games of the season. Unfortunately, that's really only, that's all we got um, of two healthy players, but it was phenomenal. So Khalil Mack, you know, if you want to trade Joey Bosa, I, I guess you, if you want to, fine, but Khalil Mack is, is going to have these numbers again and not really live up to his contract. Um, yeah. Again, not bad play, but not, you know, $27 million cap it or whatever it is. You know, Joey Bosa, if you want to cut Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, we've seen what it looks like in Brandon Staley's defense without another guy across from him. Actually, even with Etienne and Wosu, 
And, you know, that wasn't great either. The peak value for both of these guys, for them to live up to their contract potential, they do require each other. So I do think that both guys stick around. I know some people want to trade Joey Bosa. I know some people might want to consider trading or cutting Khalil Mack. Um, but I do think both guys are on the team. They stick around. I think Telesco, Staley, and really both Mack and Bosa want to see this all the way through. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you're you're not going to trade for Khalil Mack and then get two games of healthy players and be like, yep, we're going to move on. Like, I think you're, you're, you want to see what you have with this duo before you do anything with it. And, you know, trading Joey Bosa, I think I, I've said this on Twitter. I've said that in Discord. I think it's a ludicrous idea talking about trading Joey Bosa. Um, in terms of Khalil Mack's finances, obviously the Chargers inherited his uh, six-year, $140 million, $141 million deal that he signed with the Bears. That started in 2019. Obviously, they're inheriting the, the final three years of that. Um, because of the restructure that they did last year, he does have a cap hit this year of $27.4 million. I would be shocked <laughs> if it stays that high. Um, I, I don't think you could really justify it being that high. Um, if they did want to cut him, you can save $18.4 million if you cut him pre-June 1st or 22.9 with a post-June 1st designation. So again, from a financial standpoint, this is this would be a typical uh, Tom Telesco cut, but obviously you're you're probably tr- trying to keep him around. In terms of the restructure, uh, you can save ten point eight six million dollars with that. Um, obviously, the only thing there is that you're pushing more money towards his final year of his contract, and then at that point, you're looking at like an astronomical <laughs> cap hit number <laughs> for the final year of his contract. So. Um, we'll see what happens here. You, you theoretically could ask Lumac to take a pay cut and work, rework the contract that way. Obviously that would, you know, require that Khalil Mack would be open to taking a pay cut. Um, but I, I expect some kind of transaction here with Khalil Mack's contract because $27.4 million cap at this year, I think is, is not going to be really, uh, flying very well with Ed McGuire and company from a, a financial <laughs> standpoint. Yeah. We'll see with that one. I can't wait to have Arjun on to really break this all down and have like a nice layout in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, this is the no-brainer one. Again, this is kind of alphabetical order, but uh, Matt Filer, you look at things from the last two years and you really kind of see how he regressed. It wasn't a huge cliff that people kind of want to make it out to be, but um, in 2021, he had 25 total pressures allowed, which was 18th best in the league. 97.8 pass blocking efficiency rating, which was 13th best in the league. Uh, again, I think PFS run blocking grades needing a lot of work, but uh, 78.5 <laughs> uh, was eighth best among all guards. 2022 was a, a different story. 40 total pressures allowed was 43rd best, I guess. So it was not very good. Uh, 97.2 pass blocking efficiency. Not a huge difference from you know 97.8, but that turns from 13th best to 33rd. Um, and then 50.0 run blocking was 45th in the league. In the league, he, he turns 31, I think, on July 17th or something like that, according to Wikipedia. So, um, unfortunately for Matt Filer, you know, I think he was was one of the better free agency signings last year. One of the better free agency signings that Tom Telesco has had. But uh, you know that that 30 year old wall comes for everybody, and I think unfortunately it did come for Matt Filer this year. Yeah, really unfortunate especially because I feel like down the stretch, he had a, a much better series of games where you like if they do keep him and I don't think they do, but if they do, they'll point to those games and say, look, there was some improvement here, you know, kind of kind of got back to, you know, the Matt Fowler you wanted to see. And it was part of the reason they had um, a lot of rushing success against the Rams, but 
again, too little, too late. And this one, unlike the other ones, you know, with Khalil Mack, there's there's no clear cut edge three with, you know, some of these other players. There isn't another guy behind them. With Matt Filer, it's Jamari Sawyer. Like they yeah. locked into that pick. They have a great cheap option. I don't know what Jamari Sawyer's contract is, but I'm sure next year it's like a million nine hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is. I mean, so Jamari Sawyer, they drafted him to be a guard. They've been trying him at left guard in camp, and they need to free up cap space. This is the slam dunk, no brainer, easy move. Um, I feel bad because my father had some good football um, to close out the year, but again, too little, too late. Contract is too big, and you have a replacement that costs a fraction of what you make. Yeah, this is one of the rare cases where you actually do have the the depth guy ready to rock, ready to roll, and obviously Jamari Sawyer. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see what he he does full time as a starter, as a guard. It's kind of where the Chargers drafted him. That's where I, I think he fits best. So, you know, him and Slater next to each other is going to be a lot of fun. Um, in terms of the finances, again, pretty straightforward cut. Filer signed a three-year, $21 million deal with the Chargers in 2021, obviously with Corey Lindsay. Um, he has an $8.5 million cap number if he's still on the roster. Chargers save $6.5 million of that uh, pre or post June 1st uh, cut for Matt Filer. So, again, very straightforward. Matt Filer is going to get cut, unfortunately. Um, probably does the whole, like, journeyman thing in the next couple of years and uh, you know, rides off into the sunset. Um, the player that we thought was going to be a, a clear cut, uh, no brainer cut for the chargers, obviously Michael Davis. Um, I put his statistics on here for both years. You can really see the biggest, biggest difference was that he cut down on the mistakes. He had eight penalties in 2021, only two in 2022, um, you know, forced incompletions. He actually had 12 in 2021, which I, I didn't really realize it was that high of a number. Um, but the biggest thing there that you can really see, you know, in 2021, he had a 97.4 passer rating when targeted in 2022, it was a 75 passer rating when targeted. So the only thing really missing from Michael Davis this year was the interceptions. Other than that, I think he improved across the board. Um, and you know, you talk about Jamari Sawyer saving the Chargers from a bad situation. Michael Davis definitely Ooh. saved the Chargers from a bad situation as well. Um, we've talked a lot about him and, and how much props he deserves um you know for the way that he played but um man did he save them this year you know if if he hadn't been playing very well you lose jc charges would have been in a bad spot in terms of the cornerback spot so uh, michael davis definitely deserves his flowers yeah played fantastic football the best year of his career by quite a bit and with i mean really even with but especially with jc jackson's future his injury everything being so up in the air you obviously keep him, and frankly, he deserves an extension. He's the best corner on the team, certainly the best remaining corner, even if you include you know, Bryce Callahan maybe coming back or something. Um, just play phenomenal football, and I don't think there's any reason to get rid of him. Um, we thought there would be. you know, When they just demoted him to Gunner and that was it, when there was no real competition, you know, sure, you, what are you going to do? At that point, You know, the insurance is great, but you know, he wasn't like a huge standout in 2021. But after this past season, seeing what he did um, and, and then really seeing what the defense looked like without him, you really, really want to hold on to Michael Davis. And I'm, I'm frankly very happy if they give him an extension. Um, it could be a kind of one of those faux extensions where it's one more year, you know, switch up the money a little bit, but you still can, you know, have that out the following year. Um, let's say JC Jackson comes back and he's super healthy, fine, whatever. Um, but he does deserve an extension. And I think the Chargers should absolutely make this move. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of the the money here, uh, obviously signed that three-year, $25.2 million contract extension with the Chargers in 2021. 
Um, he will have a cap hit of $9.4 million if he's on the roster in 2023, including a $1 million bonus that hits on the third day of the new league year. Um, so again, I, I think the Chargers have some flexibility here because he's on the final year of his contract. They can save the $7.4 million if they're you know, absolutely going to go draft a corner in the first round. Like if that's the area that they want to go to, you know, that is unfortunately a possibility. Um, but to me, you know, another extension could create $4.7 million in cap space this year. Um, he's only 28. He just barely turned 28 in January. Hmm. Um, so you still have a couple years left of quality football. Um, you know, he was an undrafted free agent. So you're not, there's not like a ton of wear and tear on his, on his football body. You know, he wasn't a, a starter right away for the Chargers. So I think ideally, you know, you do give him an extension and again, same kind of concept. You lower the cap at this year, you push the money towards the next couple of years. And then, you know, after, you know, maybe 2024 season, you have a, a cut conversation again after that point. Yeah. No, but I'm, I'm happy with an extension for him. 4.7 extra in cap space. All good with me. Yeah. And again, every little bit helps for the chargers as long yes. as, especially while you're trying to keep players like Keenan Allen around and, and do things like that. So um, to me, it just, it makes too much sense to, to extend Michael Davis this year. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, we went through all of it. Obviously, if you are just joining the show, you can go back and rewatch it. Um, we are definitely in agreement that Matt Filer is going to get cut. Um, anybody else from this list, Tyler, that you think does ultimately get cut? Like, how would you lean in terms of uh, who's most likely outside of Matt Filer to get cut? Let me go back through. I mean, we did talk about it as being Gerald Everett of the guys that are on here. Uh, we didn't talk about Dustin Hopkins. That one is still... I think something that would happen. I would assume that's what happens. But wherever they lean, I trust Ryan Fickens. If they keep him, if if, if it's not uh, Cameron Dicker, fine. But I do think that um, of the guys that we have here and outside of Matt Filer, it would be Gerald Everett. And I would consider Gerald Everett more likely to be cut than Keenan Allen, if that makes any difference to anyone. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So I didn't really put Dustin Hopkins on here, and that's my mistake i probably should have but um cutting him with a post june 1st designation saves 2.28 million dollars this year and then 4.75 million dollars next year so he has basically zero guaranteed money on his contract so you know once they cut him if they cut him you know they they'll save uh, approximately 7 million dollars in the next two years um i agree with you though i do think that there's there's more of a chance that Gerald Everett gets cut than than Keenan Allen i think um, you know, we've talked a lot about the value that Keenan brings to this team. And I think that they're, they're going to figure out a way to, to keep Keenan around. I would agree. Well, uh, I, I already committed to a hundred percent guarantee. So I have to be <laughs> right now. Yes, absolutely. So, um, in terms of extensions, again, we, we talked about that, you know, potentially Michael Davis, potentially Austin Eckler that can free up some money for them. Uh, we'll see what they do. This is going to be a very busy uh off season for m mcguire you know usually it's a lot of uh, focus on tom telesco and player acquisition uh theme of the off season this year is gonna be reworking some contracts i think so we'll see how <laughs> that goes um all right guys let us know what you think in terms of uh some of these cut candidates in the chat or in the comments or on twitter uh who would you think is is a likely cut candidate obviously outside of of matt filer um tyler any final thoughts before we head out tonight I'm just excited the off season's rolling around because we always win it. So I can't wait to continue <laughs> talking with, with you and with everybody else and, you know, racking up these views and making some money before we all go broke during the summer 
and I have to start paying back from uh, student loans. So I can't wait to make up some money between now and then. Yeah. We got to figure this out, you know, as a country, are we canceling them? Are we not? Like, I just, I just want to know when I, if, when I need to start paying some loans back, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, going to be a little more, a little bit more difficult this year to win the off season with, uh, re- some restructures. We're going to, we're going to lead the league in restructures. There we go. That's how we're going to win the off season. <laughs> hey, you know, I'll take it. We don't win anything else. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. So, um, yeah, that's going to do it for us tonight, guys. Uh, thank you again to Alex Katzen for joining us to talk about some senior bowl. Make sure and follow him. Stay tuned for uh, his work on the channel. Same with Gavino Borquez. Make sure and follow us on social media and uh, leave some reviews if you uh, would be so kind. So that's going to do it for us tonight. We'll see you guys on Saturday for our usual uh, Saturday Q&A, and we'll uh, keep you posted about some topics that day. So uh, we'll see you then. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.